Hello, ghouls, and welcome to Brave the Basement. I'm your host, the ghoul that rules. Black One Jack 2 could not be with us today. He had a scheduling conflict. If you enjoy getting a little scared, ghost stories, haunted houses, a believer in the supernatural, or maybe even a skeptic wanting to look at things from a different perspective, then this is the show for you. Today's episode is sponsored by Ed's Barbershop. Ed's Barbershop is located at 210 Lane Street, North Judson, Indiana. So if you enjoy getting your hair cut from a hometown barber with that old-fashioned feel, then dial 574-896-3344 and schedule your appointment today. So last week uh, we recorded the Bellamy Bridge episode and went to lunch. And while we were out having lunch, uh, ran across this police chase. Uh, A car was speeding through town and we followed the police chase with a golf cart. And it was a pretty interesting story. And uh, searching around uh, our local news, I came across this article I wanted to share with everybody. A man was arrested Friday afternoon after reported leading police on a short pursuit through the city. The city police chief says reports of a suspicious person looking in the vehicles led officers to the 600 block of Williams Street. An officer reportedly saw a man driving in the area matching the description of the suspect. As the officer attempted to catch up to the vehicle, it sped away at a high rate of speed, according to the report. Police say a pursuit was initiated, which continued up and down numerous residential streets. The driver reportedly damaged several residential lawns, mailboxes, and fences while attempting to elude police. A police commission was even damaged after the driver of the vehicle allegedly struck it. The pursuit ended when he crashed his vehicle into the fence at the elementary school playground, according to the report. He then ran from the vehicle through the playground area, where officers eventually took him into custody. The man was injured in the incident after allegedly making numerous attempts to hit police. He was arrested and taken to the county jail on preliminary charges of resisting law enforcement, criminal mischief, and a parole violation. So, uh, if you, if you want to go back and listen to the last episode, uh, we'll give you all the details, everything that Blackjack and I experienced that day while chasing us around. So recently we had a contest because I said that we were going to do an episode about a serial killer. And the first person who can figure out the clue that was left on the website of bravedebasement.weebly.com would get to pick the episode 20 season closer. And we have a winner of that contest. And so the clue was on the contact us page, uh, the poem that I always read at the end of every episode, I added the words from hell in it. And if you know anything about serial killers, you would know that the from hell letter was written supposedly by Jack the Ripper. Since this uh, contest, uh, we have a winner, and that person has chose our season 20 episode will be about haunted universities. So we look forward to that. Not only will it be a little bit of a celebration because we're going to close out the season, it will be our 40th total episode, 20th episode in this season. And then we'll start preparing for season three. But today we're here to talk about Jack the Ripper. For three months in 1888, fear and panic stalked the streets of London's East End. During these months, five women were murdered and horribly mutilated by a man who became known as Jack the Ripper. Although some believe the true number to have been 11. 
Whitechapel in the East End was like a festering sore on the face of Victorian London in the late 19th century. The overcrowded population lived in hovels. The streets stank of filth, and the only way to earn a living was by criminal means. And for many women, that meant prostitution. The terror started on Friday, August 31st, when the body of Mary Ann Nichols, age 42, was found in present-day Durwald Street, known as Bucks Row. Her face was bruised, and her throat had been slashed twice and nearly severed. Her stomach had been hacked open and slashed several times. She was acknowledged to be the first of the Ripper's victims. On September 8th, the second victim was found. She was Annie Chapman, a 47-year-old prostitute. Her body was found in a passageway behind 29 Hanbury Street, her few possessions laid out next to her body. Her head was almost severed and her stomach torn open and pulled apart. Sections of skin from the stomach lay on her left shoulder and a mass of intestines on the right shoulder. Part of the vagina and bladder had been carved out and taken away. On September 28th, a letter was received at the Central News Agency signed Jack the Ripper threatening more murders. The name caught the public imagination when it first appeared in the newspaper and was used ever afterwards. Whitechapel was now in an uproar. Riots broke out as hysterical crowds attacked anyone carrying a black bag as a rumor had spread that the Ripper carried his knives in such a bag. So over the course of the murders, hundreds of letters claiming to be from the killer were posted at the time of the Ripper murders. But many researchers argue that the From Hell, which if you remember was the clue that I gave for the contest, the From Hell letter is one of a handful of possibly authentic, authentic writings received from the murderer. Its author did not sign it with Jack the Ripper. And uh, just to give you a little more context on the From Hell letter, uh, the From Hell letter was a letter sent alongside half a preserved human kidney to the chairman of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, George Lusk, in October 1888. The author of this letter claimed to be the unidentified serial killer known as Jack the Ripper. Now remember, he did not sign it as Jack the Ripper. And I'm going to attempt to read this to you. Um, and, I put, and I'm going to put this out on the website as well in the photo gallery, a picture of the original letter. And you'll notice that most of this is uh, misspelled incorrectly. Uh, there's no punctuations, or if there is, they're just in weird places. And I think that, you know, this was done to hide who the author was. But uh, here's the letter. It says, From hell, Mr. Lusk, sir, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you. The other piece I fried and ate it. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. So definitely go to bravedebasement.weebly.com to the photo gallery. You can see the picture of the actual letter. And I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show that there's a picture of the, the car after it crashed uh, from the car chase that we followed the other day. So check that out as well. On September 30th, uh, it was a grim day. The Ripper carried out two murders within minutes of each other. Elizabeth Stride was the unfortunate woman, also a prostitute, who was found first at 1 a.m. behind 40 Burner Street. When found, blood was still pouring from her throat, and it seemed that the Ripper had been disturbed at his grisly business. 
At 1.45 a.m., the body of Catherine Eddowes, 43, was found just a few minutes' walk away in the alley between Mitre Square and Duke Street, known now as St. James Passage. Her body had been ripped open and her throat slashed. Both eyelids had been cut and part of her nose and right ear were cut off. The uterus and kidney were removed and intestines thrown over the right shoulder. A trail of blood led the police to a doorway nearby where a message had been chalked. It read, The Jews are not the men to be blamed for nothing. For some inexplainable reason, the head of the Metropolitan Police, Sir Charles Warren, ordered it to be rubbed out, so what could have been a valuable clue was destroyed. Another letter was received by the Central News Agency in which the Ripper said he was sorry he had not been able to send the ears to the police as he had promised. Catherine Eddowes' left ear had been partially severed. On November 9th, the Ripper struck again. Mary Jeanette Kelly was the youngest of the women murdered. She was just 25 and an attractive girl. She was found in her room at Miller's Court, which ran off Dorset Street, now known as Duval Street. Mary, or what was left of her, was lying on the bed. The scene in the room was appalling. The rent collector who found her said, I shall be haunted by this for the rest of my life. Mary's throat had been cut, her nose and breast cut off, and dumped on a table. Her intestines were draped over a picture frame. The body had been skinned and gutted, and her heart was missing. The panic and public outcry caused by this murder led to the resignation of Sir Charles Warren, the chief of police. Mary was the last of the Ripper's victims. His reign of terror ended as suddenly as it began. For a hundred years, various names have been suggested as the killer of these women. So who was Jack the Ripper? Since the murder's many names have been linked with the notorious murderer, but here we discuss seven of the suspects. But first I want to read to you an eyewitness statement with the description of Jack the Ripper. So this came from eyewitness, his name was William Marshall. And he stated that around 1145, William Marshall, a laborer who lived at number 64 Burner Street, was standing outside his lodgings when he noticed a man and a woman outside number 63. They both seemed quite sober, and as he watched them begin to kiss, Marshall heard the man remark to the woman, You would say anything but your prayers. The couple then moved off, heading in the direction of Dutchfield Yard. Marshall described the man as being middle-aged and stout and had the appearance of a clerk. He was around five feet six inches tall, clean-shaven, and respectably dressed. He wore a small black cutaway coat, dark trousers, and a round cap with a small sailor-like peak. So, like they mentioned, there was a lot of people who were considered suspects in the Jack the Ripper case, and we're going to go over some of them. And then I'm going to give you my thoughts on who I think the killer was. Um, but we'll get into all that. So the first person we're going to talk about, his name was William Burry. William Burry was born May 25th in 1859. He died April 24th, 1889, roughly around age 29. Hanged in Dundee, Scotland for the murders of his wife, Ellen. So this guy was a convicted murderer who uh, was convicted 
and hanged for those murders. So uh, what put him on the suspect list is uh, first suspected in 1889 due to the similarities between his wife's murder and the five Ripper victims. Although Burry was arrested and executed in Dundee, Scotland, he had been residing in Bow near Whitechapel during the three-month murderous spree of Jack the Ripper. If you were to consider all 11 unsolved Whitechapel murders that took place between April 1888 and February 1891. Now remember, there's only five uh, confirmed Jack the Ripper murders. Some people chalk it up as much as 11 because there were some murders that happened right before these five murders. Uh, Burry resided in Bow from October 1887 to January 1889 placing him in the area at the appropriate time. It was reported that graffiti at his Dundee flat that said, Jack the Ripper is at the back of this door, and Jack the Ripper is in the cellar sick, was found leading some to believe that Ellen was murdered to prevent her from identifying Burry as Jack the Ripper. Now, some of the things that uh, put some doubt upon this man being Jack the Ripper uh, although Burry pleaded not guilty to his wife's murder, two days before his execution, Burry confessed to a reverend that he killed his wife, and at the urging of the reverend, he wrote a confession, which he asked to be held back until after his execution. Burry confessed that he had strangled Ellen during a drunken row, then had attempted to dismember her body for disposal, but was too squeamish to continue. Although his confession does not match expert testimony from the time, his confession just days before his death to a reverend that he asked to be held back until he was dead can be seen as confession of his sins. He did not mention being Jack at any point during his confession. During the Jack the Ripper investigation, a detective was sent to interview Burry in Dundee, and although he was investigated, Burry was not considered to be a viable suspect. So another man that uh, they believe could have been Jack the River, his name was Montague John Druitt, and he was born August 15, 1857. He died early December of 1888. He was aged 31, and he was found floating in the River Thames. Uh, the reason why he was suspected, although there is very little evidence to implicate Druitt, he is considered by many to be the number one suspect in the case, the son of a medical practitioner, Druid fitted the assumption of the detectives at the time that due to the gruesome dis disembowelment and removal of organs, Jack the Ripper would have had skills of a physician or butcher. The suspicion fell on Druid after the memorandum of McNaughton, who investigated the Ripper killings for Scotland Yard, became public. And in that memorandum, it states a doctor of about 41 years of age and a fairly good family who disappeared at the time of the Miller's Court murder and whose body was found floating in the Thames on 31st October, seven weeks after the said murder. The body was said to have been in the water for a month or more. From private information, I have little doubt that his own family suspected this man of being the Whitechapel murderer. It was alleged that he was sexually insane. Although McNaughton did not incorrectly age Druitt, as 41, it was clear that McNaughton was implicating Druitt due to his de due to the details of his suicide. His suicide and the timing of this is the main reason Druitt is a suspect. 
So now the main doubt between uh, this man being Jack the Ripper is there is little to no evidence of Druitt being the Ripper. Druitt resided in Blackheath and had no connection to Whitechapel. His only connection to the Ripper case is that made by McNaughton. And now we're going to talk about James Maybrick, who was born October 24th, 1838. Uh, he died May 11th, 1889 at the age of 50. Suspected arsenic poisoning his wife. Florence was arrested, convicted, then released on re-examination of her case. Uh, his, the suspicion against Maybrick was Maybrick was not considered a suspect at the time of the murder or even mentioned in the Ripper case until more than a century after his death. Not surprisingly, as he was a cotton merchant residing in Liverpool. In 1992, a diary surfaced taking credit for the slaying of the five Ripper victims, as well as two other murders. Although a name is not mentioned in this diary, it is widely accepted during due, I'm sorry, it is widely accepted due to references and hints throughout that this was Maybrick's diary. Then in 1993, a gentleman's pocket watch was discovered that had Jay Maybrick scratched on the cover alongside the initials of all five Ripper victims and the words, I am Jack. The watch was made in 1847 or 1848, and testing has proved that the engraving outdates the vast majority of superficial surface scratches. Sorry about that again. Uh, on the watch, and although the engraving cannot be conclusively proven it is considered to be of substantial age so the doubt behind this gentleman being the uh jack the ripper is the, the diary and watch are the only two connections to the ripper murders although the watch has some credibility in regard to its authenticity the diary evidence is surrounded in doubt firstly question was the discovery of the diary as the story changed from it being given to him by a friend to being handed down in his wife's family the diary itself is a genuine Victorian scrapbook, but 20 pages have been torn out. The handwriting style has been questioned due to it seeming more 20th century than Victorian, and the ink has been tested numerous times to no solid conclusion. Since the discovery of the diary in Pocket Watch, it is thought that his wife Florence had discovered that her husband was Jack the Ripper and decided to put an end to his life to stop the killings. However, this is rumor, and there is no evidence to support the theory. Another gentleman we'll discuss today is Walter Richard Sickert. He was born May 31st, 1860. He died on January 22nd, 1942, at the age of 81, due to natural causes. Sickert was a British painter who took inspiration from the Ripper case. He believed that he had lodged in a room once used by Jack the Ripper as his landlady had suspected a previous lodger. For 70 years, no one mentioned Sickert's name in connection with the case until an author named Stephen Knight claimed that Sickert had been an accomplice in the murders due to information gained from Sickert's illegitimate son, Joseph Gorman. The real interest in Sickert as the Ripper came in 2002 when crime novelist Patricia Cornwell stated that she believed Sickert was the Ripper. Cornwell has purchased 31 of Sickert's paintings in the search for DNA evidence and has claimed that she was able to prove the mitochondrial DNA connected Sickert to a Ripper letter. So things that uh, 
cast some doubt on this man being Jack the Ripper is other than the claims of Gorn Cornwell and Knight, there is no other evidence that suggests that Sicker was anything more than an artist inspired by the dark and sadistic Ripper case. And that brings us to Francis Tumblety. He was born in 1833. He passed away on May 28, 1903. Uh, he was about 69 or 70, and he died of natural causes in St. Louis, Missouri. Tuplety was suspected of being Jack the Ripper at the time of the murders. He was arrested on the 7th of November, 1888, on unrelated charges and, and released on bail. Knowing that he was considered a suspect in the Ripper murders, Tumbledy fled back to the United States via France. There is rumor that Scotland Yard tried to extradite him, but New York City police said there is no proof of his complicity in the Whitechapel murders, and the crime for which he is under bond in London is not extraditable. So it causes some doubt on this man being Jack the Ripper, as it doesn't seem clear why Tumbledy was a suspect at the time, apart from his previous criminal record and his misogyny. His appearance was not similar to the descriptions of any of the eyewitnesses' testimony, and there is no concrete evidence he even visited Whitechapel. It is claimed that Tumbledy collected Utira, but this allegation was made by an unreliable witness who was known practical joker, and the allegations had only been made after the press linked Tumbledy to the murders. And next we'll talk about, his name is Joseph Barnett. Uh, he was born in 1858. He passed away November 1926 at the age of 68. Joseph Barnett has one of the strongest motives of all the Ripper suspects. He lived with Mary Kelly, the last of the five Ripper victims. He was rumored to have been in love with Mary Kelly and was fed up with her prostituting herself to other men. He believed he could spore her and did so for a while. Until he lost his job in June 1888. Mary Kelly then returned to prostitution. It is thought that Barnett had tried to scare Kelly away from his line of work through the Ripper murders, but did not succeed. Ten days before her death, Barnett and Kelly had an argument, which resulted in Barnett moving out of the property. Mary Kelly was found brutally murdered in her bed in a locked room. It was the most brutal of all five murders and was the only one that did not take place on the street. It was also the last which would explain why the killing ceased after her murder. His physical description and appearances also fits a number of eyewitness reports. So what cast a doubt over him? Uh, no evidence, although Barnett fits the FBI profile and the physical description, there is no evidence, just a strong motive for the murders, which is all speculation. And next we will talk about my pick for the Jack the Ripper murder, which is Aaron Kosminski. He was born September 11th, 1865, died March 24th, 1919 at the age of 53 of natural causes in an insane asylum. Kosminski was a Polish Jew hairdresser in Whitechapel and has been suspected since the initial investigation and is mentioned in a McNaughton memorandum. He was also considered a suspect by the majority of officers responsible for the Ripper case. By the February 7, 1891, he was certified as insane and taken to an asylum. 
Until 2007, there was no substantial evidence to suspect Kosminski, just the suspicions of senior officers. However, in 2007, a shawl purchased at auction would reignite the suspicion into Kosminski. The shawl is allegedly to be the one that was found laying on the ground near the body of one of the Ripper victims. It had been handed down by a senior officer's family, and then in 2007, it was sold at auction to Russell Edwards, who saw an opportunity. The shawl still contained traces of blood and other genetic material. Edwards contacted Dr. Jari from Liverpool John Moores University, who tested the shawl and formed a connection between uh, the descendant Eddowes and Kosminski. So what is the doubt behind this? Because now we have DNA evidence linking Kosminski to these murders. There was only suspicion prior to 2007. No evidence was found con connecting Kosminski to the Ripper case prior to this. On his admission to the asylum in 1891, he was not considered a danger to others, which brings into question whether Kosminski had the violent tendencies that Jack the Ripper showed through his brutal slayings. The 2007 evidence has also been open to criticism. What claims that the evidence isn't strong enough to declare the case closed. The newspaper published by Dr. Jari does not include key details on the specific genetic variants identified and care between DNA samples. So, you know, like I mentioned at the start of this, that I would talk about who I think they were the killer and why I believe that they were the killer. And I'm going back to Kosminski. And the reason that I'm going back to Aaron Kosminski is because of the forensic DNA. So why is this DNA, if we have a DNA evidence that he was the killer, why is it just not accepted as he was the killer? So one of the main reasons is this Shaw is, is very old. And if you follow protocol today, um, this would not hold up to the standard to be a uh, evidence in a courtroom and because you don't there is you don't have that chain of custody so you don't know where this shawl was you don't know who had it who was in contact with it it could have been anybody in Kosminski's family could have touched this at some point over you know hundreds of years but for me being that they didn't use forensic evidence at the time like like we do now especially with DNA they would have known to have a chain of custody. They would have known all these policies and procedures and things that we do to ensure that the evidence is the correct evidence when it's uh, brought up in courtroom. I just find it awful funny that when it's when the DNA is put up against the uh, I'm sorry, when it's put up against the descendants of the victim and Kosminski, they match. And so what are the odds that anybody that closely related to Kosminski would have DNA on that Shaw who wasn't involved in that murder and be linked to Kosminski. The, the chances are very slim to none. And uh, preparing and doing some research on Jack the Ripper, I came across a uh, special that aired in the 80s at some point. And they had this whole group of these criminal specialists uh, Someone from the FBI, someone from Scotland Yard, and uh, psychiatrists, and they went through a whole bunch of suspects and over all the murders, and at the end, asked all five members of the panel to say who they think the killer would have been based on the training that they have received as it comes to an FBI profile, and every single one of them 
unanimously named Kosminski as the most likely candidate to be Jack the Ripper. If you would like to become a Brave the Basement ghoul, be sure to share this show on social media. Go to bravethebasement.weebly.com and sign up for our newsletter to get all the latest news and updates when each episode has been posted. If you have a ghost story you would like to share with us, you can reach us at bravethebasement at gmail.com. Your story can make it on the show and be featured on the website. You can also submit your story on Reddit under the subreddit Brave the Basement or in the YouTube comment section. If you have an eerie ghost photo you would like to share, please email us and include a description and your photo could be added to our photo gallery. And that brings us to the end. We hope that we brought you just a little fright. And remember when you're up late at night and you hear something in the other room that just doesn't seem right. It's okay if you need to turn on the light to protect yourself from things that go bump in the night. I'm your host, Ghoul That Rules, and I hope you join us again. Until next time.